Made for Mondays. We're concluding our series this week. By the way, I cannot wait for baptisms next week. It's going to be awesome. But let's close out Made for Mondays talking about living in community. Kind of the thrust or the the foundation of this series uh, for the past three weeks has been that habits are the space that we create for God to make us. And you know, we all have habits. Some of them are easier than others. Hopefully you've got the brush your teeth habit. Hope you, hopefully you've got the, the habit of, of, of jumping in the shower now and then, right? Teenagers, yes, jump in the shower now and then. Uh, but, but, but some habits are way more intentional and formative in our life. And, and, and our habits of spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, reading our Bible, these are incredibly important spaces that we create, that we choose to do so that God can make you. Isaiah 64, 8 says, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Love that. Love this picture of of that we are in God's hands. When you were a little kid, did you ever hear the song, He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole world, right? Well, that includes you. That includes your life. He has you in His hands and He's forming you and He's making you into the person that that he wants you to be. Now our part is yielding. Our part is surrendering and saying, yes, here I am, God. Have your way in my life. But from the beginning of the church, back in Acts chapter two, and um, we've seen something that is a defining factor. We see people getting together. It's happened from the very beginning. People getting together. We saw this when Jesus would teach and thousands would come and gather to hear him speak. We saw this in Acts chapter two after 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost and what did they do? They began to meet and to get together even on a daily basis. They were congregating. You know, this is, this is why we come together on Sundays because we wanna get together and sing about and teach about the greatness and the goodness of our God. And so for most people, this is a pretty natural thing. They want to be together. They, they want to rub shoulders together. It's what people do. In a few weeks, you're going to get together for the Super Bowl, and hopefully uh, the Bengals are in it, right? Hopefully this is a joyous occasion and not just a reminder that uh, uh, we lost today. And, but we're not going to say that in Jesus' name. It's not going to happen, right? You know, and so in Jesus' name, pray for the Bengals today. Come on. And so... It's pretty, you know, natural. It's like, man, we love to get together. Fourth of July, Easter, St. Patrick's Day. We come up with all kinds of reasons. Have you seen on the calendar lately how many, like, like, day, uh, like donut day? And, and there's all these crazy holidays that we didn't even know existed. And it's like almost like all reasons to get together. But it's not just getting together for getting together's sake that we're talking about today. What we see in God's word is meeting with purpose. Meeting with purpose. Because if we just get together to get together, what are we? We're just just another social club. It's just another hangout. It's just another, yes, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. But there's so much more to living in community in a way that it makes us, it forms us, it shapes us, that is so crucial to the Christian life. Acts 2, verse 42, it describes what happened in the early church, and it says, all the believers, everybody say all. All All the believers, and so we see there's unity. 
They devoted themselves. Devoted is a word of purpose. It's not a passive word. Man, this is a you know, grit, nitty gritty word that, man, I'm gonna devote myself to it. Come, you know, come floods, come whatever. You know, even when it snows, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump online and make sure I don't miss church, kind of devoted, right? It's, we're devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. It's all important. It's all spiritual. It all plays into living in community in a way that lets God shape us. And so one part I love that it said all the believers. Do you know how powerful it is when people capture the power of all, especially in the church when we're not divided, when we're together, when we're unified and we're going in the same direction? So two important words, all and devoted. They were all devoted. So devoted is a word that carries a sense of urgency. They didn't just like hanging out. They were together for a purpose. That's why we create life groups. That's why we, we, we try to be really intentional about times when you can connect with others, not just to have some pickles and bones and hang out, but to become more like Christ. When I was a teenager, um, my youth pastor had a, had a huge influence on my life. And it wasn't because he was a good preacher, and it wasn't because he was good at sports, and it wasn't because he was really tall and strong and I, I looked up to him. It was because he took time to be with me. You know, a couple memories that I will never forget was one time, I don't even remember why we were together. Maybe I just showed up at his house. That very well could have happened. And, and for, for whatever reason, we decided to jump on the bikes. And before you know it, we had rid, ridden over 20 miles all over the city of Columbia, Missouri, where I grew up. On a whim. How many of you want to know that because he took time to be with me and to do something special with me, everything else that he said in life carried more weight? Right? everything. The times we played basketball together, sweated together, talked trash together on the basketball court, you know, those times really made the crucial times where he would speak into my life or he would preach or, or he would say, hey, Joe, stop that. Way more important. Many life-changing moments in life happen in normal everyday conversations, and most of them unplanned. Why? Because you can't plan life change. You can't plan that moment where everything's just gonna shift and everything's gonna, you're gonna see things differently and you're gonna have a new understanding or, or, or God's gonna just open your eyes to his word. You know, it's hard to plan those moments. God doesn't always move in your timetable. I've learned the hard way that you can't legislate the heart, right? You can't. And so what do we do? We have to create margin and space to listen and let God move us. And when it comes to the context of community, this is why you can check all the church boxes off the list. You can come to church your whole life. You can do all the things you're supposed to do and still not grow or change very much. Why? Because in your life, there might be very little intentional time spent in the right relational environment. For some of you, this is really gonna hit home. Because for a long time, it's just been coming to church. But Jesus called you to so much more than that. 
He didn't just call you to attend. He called you to live in community, to rub shoulders with, to have that iron sharpens iron kind of life that it talks in Proverbs, talks about in Proverbs. So why is it so crucial that we stay engaged in community with other believers? And this morning, I'm not getting on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about your past. I'm trying to paint a picture of the future and what could be. And hopefully in this next point, you steer you away from the other option. Number one, why is it so crucial? Because not being connected comes with serious, serious risks. It comes with serious risks. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Have you ever wondered, man, why can't I just kick this sin? Why can't I get over this habit? Why am I having such a hard time bringing the sin in my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ and having victory? Part of it could be the lack of community in your life. It tells us in James to confess our sins to one another so that times of, of healing and refreshing can come in our life. But when, if we're never around people having spiritual conversations and talking about the state of our souls, that probably won't happen. I love the Redwoods in California. I went there one time, my parents. Amazing, blew my mind and I'll never forget it. Driving a car through a tree is pretty epic, right? But these sequoias, they're, they're sometimes referred to as the largest living things on earth. They can reach almost 250 feet in the air, and they can stand and live for as many as 1,500 years. And you might say, what's the secret of that height? What's the secret of the strength? What's the secret of, of just that health and, and vitality and, and longevity? It might be interesting to you to know that the roots of these trees only go down deep in the ground four feet. Can you imagine? Four feet, four feet deep. But what they do is they intertwine with the trees around them, with the other sequoia trees. And they have interconnected root systems that keep them strong. And so that when, the way, or when the winds come and the storms come, the wind can't blow them over. Why? Because they're tied together. What an amazing picture of what it looks like. But if you're not connected, if you're a sequoia and you're trying to be big and large and have a special life and do, and do, and do great things, but you're not connected, you're over here by yourself, what's gonna happen when your, your roots are only four feet deep? When the winds and the storms of life come, you're gonna get blown over because you're really, really top heavy, <laughs> right? As a pastor, Having um, grew up in church and, and just watched people for a long time and as a youth pastor for a long time and, and a life group director for a long time and a worship leader for a long time and now as a lead pastor. It's really hard for me to tell you, but it's so true that you're one tough thing away from walking away from your faith. And you say, Joe, that, that sounds kind of extreme, but I wouldn't say it if I hadn't seen it over and over and over again. I'm not saying this happens all at once, but when you're not connected and you, make, you, make, you start to make choices that are like a slow fade away from Christ, and before you know it, 
Little by little, you find your, yourself in a place where you're lost, disconnected, don't have anybody you can talk to, and you just, you feel like a fish out of water. One illness, one divorce, the loss of a job, a relational mess that you're going through, any, any of these types of things can just put you over the edge where you start to question your faith and don't know if God is really real and, and, and you're, you start to question the goodness of God. As a pastor, I've seen it over and over and over. I've seen people say, well, I'm just gonna take a break. I'm gonna take a break from serving or I'm gonna take a break from groups. And, and let me tell you, there are times to, to rest and adjust the, the rhythms of life and, and to catch our breath a little bit. But so many times when, I, when people come to me and say, Joe, I'm just gonna take a little break. I just need a little breather. For some reason, the isolation that they step into never ends. I've seen it so many times that, and it breaks my heart so much and, because then when I reach out and I talk to them and, 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 and it feels like that, that it's an insurmountable barrier for them to get back in. Why? Because that's our human nature. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 gives us a, a stark warning. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. And so you see the urgency there. You see like, man, this is important stuff, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Church, you might think that you've got something better going in life or that there's something more important, but there's nothing more important than staying close to Jesus and living in the community that he's called you to live in. There's nothing more important, and especially now, we need each other because being disconnected comes with serious risks. And if you're not intertwined, locking arms, doing life with other believers, there's a good chance that the storms of life are going to blow you over. And so we see in scripture, there's an urgency. There's a reason, there's a sense that this is crucial to your spiritual life. Not being connected on the other hand, it puts a stop to your spiritual growth. Why? Because most of the growth in your relationship with Jesus and in your life happens in the field of relationships. It's where you live it out, both showing grace to others and receiving grace from others. Information and knowledge mean nothing if you can't apply it in your interactions with people. Why? Because Jesus showed us what it was like. He came to seek and to save lost people. He came to, he came for the, not for the healthy, but for the sick. Jesus came to do life with people, to, to give his life away to others. And he's given the church a mission that is all about people. Being with people forces you to confront the issues in your life when you're with other believers and it forces you to deal with that stuff and to operate in relationships in a healthy way. It's way easier, let me tell you, not to connect. It's way easier to just do the easy stuff and not really dive into relationships. But not being connected can lead you to a hard heart. Why? Because the more you're with people, the more you either are gonna grow in compassion for them or the more you're gonna grow in pride and thinking you're better than them, thinking they can't help you. And we begin to get a hard heart thinking that we know it all or that no one gets you. And I just wanna say with all the love in my heart, that's not what it's all about. 
Yes, we need people to love on us and be there for us and, and all that, but that's not the end goal. It's not the purpose. And so let's get to the purpose. So first of all, it's, it's not being connected comes with serious risks. Second reason, why is it so crucial that we stay in community? Because we all need real love. Every single person. I need love, and I need the real thing. You need the real thing. Man, we have a, a, a culture and a country that people are so starved for acceptance and they want to be noticed that they'll do almost anything to get noticed, right? And so you might ask me, what does needing real love have, have anything to do with being in community at church? And some of you might ask me that question because you have this view that God loves me, but people hurt me. And if that's you today, man, I'm praying that God uh, just heals that hurt in your heart and that you can begin to see that the other people that are in church, they're not perfect, but God has given them to you as a gift, as a gift. But maybe you have this idea that God loves me, but people hurt me. And so this is really hard for you to connect real love with community in a church. But the truth is, is that you and I really do need real love. We can't live without it. And, and at the same time, the Bible has a ton to say about being in community. But it doesn't use just a nice word like community. Like, oh, let's be in community. Let's be friends. It uses a much, a much more daring and dangerous word. It says love one another. Love one another. Time after time in the New Testament, it says to love each other. And so we can't separate loving God and loving people. They're not two exclusive things. It's, it's, it's one package. You love God and you love others. It's impossible to disconnect the two. But if we're gonna talk about love and what it looks like to live in community and to love others, let's first define it. Thankfully, scripture does that for us, literally. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Underline that. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so love defined is the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus had for us when he laid down his life for us on the cross, which none of us deserved, right? None of us deserved, and we can never earn it. It was just a gift. And then in 1 John 3, 16, he said, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so we see this connection. Jesus laid down his life for us and so we in turn love other people to the best of our ability in the same way. And so there's a progression First of all, the love void that you feel in your heart, your need for acceptance, your need for, for, for love, is, is meant to be filled first and foremost by Jesus Christ. And so if you're looking for love in all the wrong places, or if you're, if you're leaning on other people's acceptance of you, or, or other people to notice you, and, that, and that's where you're getting all your love tank filled, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because the kind of love that can fill that hole in your heart really comes first and foremost from Jesus Christ. I can't expect my spouse to fill that void completely. She, she does an amazing job and I love her so much, but, but man, if I only depend on her, I'm gonna be left wanting. There's places in my heart that need love that only Jesus can reach. 
And so experiencing God's love is the first step to be able to really love others. You can't really know love until you experience his love. You might think you know love, but if you haven't met Jesus and if you haven't accepted him into your life and begun a relationship with him and be transformed by the power of his love, then I would question how deeply you know the real thing. There's never in history been anything more idolized or, mis- or misunderstood than love. Most people think they can tell the difference between real love and just infatuation or attention, right? But more often than not, we get it wrong. We do. Everyone has their own definition. And for many, it's a moving target. And here's the kicker. None of us will ever measure up. And so we go to people looking for love and they don't, they don't meet our needs. And, and so we just get frustrated, perpetually frustrated, right? And, and we kind of get in this rhythm and no church is ever good enough and no buddy is ever good enough and I can't find friends and it's just this downward spiral. We will all fail at love and not be as consistent as we need to be. All of us. I fail every day, just ask my wife, right? And yet, we run most of our relationships on how we're treated or how we're affected or how it's good for us or, or, or how we feel. And yet, the basis of how God calls us to love each other is based on this otherworldly, seemingly impossible kind of love. Loving others regardless of whether the love is returned. You know, Jesus didn't wait for you to love him before he died for you on the cross. Amen? Aren't you so thankful for that? And so when Jesus says, love others as I have loved you, he's saying, don't wait for their acceptance. Don't wait for them to do something for you. Just love them, expecting nothing in return. That's real love. Loving others out of an overflow of love in our own hearts that can't be shaken because it's coming from Jesus. Living with an abundance of love for others that covers a multitude of sins because we've experienced the real love of a father. In Acts chapter nine, something amazing happens and I just wanna paint the picture for you real quick, although I'm running out of time because I talked about all that other stuff today. But Saul, he hated Christians. He was participating in acts that, that killed Christians, stoning of Christians. He was there and present when Stephen, the first martyr of the faith, was stoned to death. And so Paul is on, on, a, on the Damascus road. And what is he doing? He's going to, to round up some more Christians and put them in jail. He's a bad dude. And so in Acts chapter 9, something amazing happens. He's, he's headed there to persecute Christians. And he is knocked down when Jesus shows up as a bright light and a voice comes from heaven. And Jesus cries out to to Saul and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I can just imagine, I I, I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but Jesus is like, I I came, I died, I, I, I showed you my love. Why are you persecuting me so much? And so... Saul's knocked down. He's immediately blinded by the light, literally. He gets up. Jesus says, go to this certain place, go to this house and wait. So Saul goes to this house. He waits for three days. In those three days, he doesn't eat or drink anything. He's probably thinking about all these things that he did. And man, Jesus is really real. And Jesus really is the son of God. And he's probably wallowing in guilt, maybe. And at the same time, he's encouraged that, man, Jesus showed up for me. 
And in the meantime, the Lord told Ananias, this other believer, he said, hey, go to this certain house and there's gonna be this guy named Saul and you're gonna lay your hands on him and you're gonna pray for him and, and, and I'm gonna use Saul in a powerful way. Amazing. Ananias is like scratching his head. Well, well, God, isn't this a guy that kills Christians and yet you want me to go and hang out with him? You want me to go and get close to him? And so in Acts chapter nine, verse 17, it says, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, now think about this, brother Saul, brother Saul. At that point, had Saul done anything to deserve that kind of love from Ananias, to deserve for Ananias to give him a family term, a, a family name, to call him brother? No. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fall from Saul's, fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Wow. But I don't want you to just pass over the moment, this moment where Ananias didn't know Saul from nothing, came and called him brother called him brother. Now here's the point. Ananias' love for Saul wasn't based on who Saul was or what Saul had done. It was based on who Jesus was in Ananias' life. And so the reason that you jump in community, the reason you get in a life group and love people so well is not because who they are, not because you feel like you're gonna just perfectly fit in in that group, not just because everything is perfect all the time or, or there's no relational discord or there's no trouble or there's no pain or there's no betrayal or anything like that. The reason that we love people is because Jesus puts it in our hearts. Ananias' calling Saul a brother was simply because Jesus told him to. Ananias was able to show grace because of Jesus. Listen, someone, some of you need to experience that kind of love, first of all. The kind of love that is gonna cover a multitude of sins in your life. And then someone you know needs to experience that kind of love from you. They do. They need to experience it from you. So much of the time we wanna sign up for life groups and go to groups just about all what, how it makes me feel or what I get out of it. No, you're being sent into a group on a mission to be Jesus' hands and feet extended to other believers, encouraging them, building them up with urgency because the day of his return is drawing near. Number three, as we close today. Why is it so important to live in community? Why is it so important that we stay engaged because loving others is a litmus test of our faith. Loving others is a litmus test of your faith. Honestly, this morning, it's like one of those things I knew. I know what the, what the phrase litmus test means, but I'm like, what does that really mean? <laughs> right? It's a chemistry thing. Um, but another term is that it's a, it's a very, um, uh, it's a test that has definite results. Right? It shows it black and white. And so loving others is a key indicator of our faith. There are at least 58 times in the New Testament in which the concept of one another is used. That we're supposed to love each other, do things for each other, carry each other's burdens. 
And what that says to me is that there's 58 things that are hard to obey or put into practice unless I have someone to practice it with. I've got to be in community. I've got to be in relationship. It's a litmus test of my faith. 1 John 4, 11 through 12 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. So when you love others, you're being God's love extended to starting with believers and then to the rest of the world. 1 John 4, 20 through 21 continues. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Talk about some harsh language. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. I don't know about you, but I can't practice this from afar. I gotta get close to people. I gotta do life with people. I gotta look them in the eye. I gotta get in the same room as them, right? If I'm gonna love them. Unfortunately, though, this kind of love, this kind of interaction, it's rare that we use this as a filter to, to, to determine the health of our relationship with Jesus. Rarely when we feel far from God do we say, how have I been doing loving those around me like Jesus loved me? Right? It's usually just not the first thing we go to. We go to how we're feeling or, or you know, the circumstances of our life. Most of the time we connect our love for God to things like church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, which are super critical and important. They're crucial to our faith walk. But John comes along and says that Jesus makes love the test. So how about the next time, and maybe today, you do a self-assessment of your faith and where you're at, and instead of blaming others or blaming circumstance or, or, or talking about you know, how things should be different or could be different in your life, you just ask yourself, how have I been doing loving others like Jesus loved me? Starting a home with your spouse and your kids and then moving on to the family of believers and, and say, how could I do better? John 13, 34 through 35 says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So man, I hope based on God's word today that you're able to, to, to come to terms with this fact that living in community is one of the primary ways that God shapes you and molds you into the person that he wants you to be. And that it's really hard to grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally in the church with other believers. It's hard because you have no, no, no place to practice it. You have no place to live it out, to flesh it out. And so what kind of margin spaces do you need to create in your life where you can grow in loving people? Places that give you a chance to live it out where you can enter into conversations that are gonna stretch you and challenge you and push you to be all that God has purposed for you to be. And so life groups are coming. You got them all right here. You got them on the app. You can sign up on the app. You can write which one you wanna join in your connect card. But I want you to prayerfully consider joining a group.
join a group. And maybe you're like, Joe, I just absolutely can't this semester. It's, it's just not going to work. Then I don't, I want to humbly ask you to not let that stop you from connecting with somebody. Connect with somebody. Start serving on a team on Sundays. Take someone to coffee. Invite somebody out to lunch and start talking about Jesus with another believer and how he's working in your life. But do what we saw the new believers do in Acts chapter 2. Devote yourself to the word and to others and to prayer and to being in community. Can we do that together as we move forward in the next couple months? So what do you need to do today? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're one of those people that, man, the first step for you is to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And you need to, to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you feel like God's been drawing you and pulling you towards this moment. And it's just time to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you today and you want to give your heart and your life to Christ, I just want to encourage you to, to raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. Anybody? I want to follow Jesus today. I want to accept Christ's love. Maybe you're here today and you say, Joe, it's time for me to re-engage in community. It's time for me to not just come to church on Sundays, but get some, get some uh, relationships going in my life that are going to allow me to live out this kind of love that Jesus has called me to. That maybe need to get in a group or maybe need to ask somebody to coffee or, or, or intentionally engage in some sort of relationship so that you can grow in your walk with Christ. If that's you and you want to make a commitment to re-engage in community, if that's you, just raise your hand today as we close in prayer. Amen. God, I pray for my friends. I pray for those that raise their hand to follow Christ. I pray for those that you're just really putting it on their heart to re-engage in community and to, to make a conscious decision to love others like you loved us. Help them, Lord. Help them to, to, um, to remember the risks of not being connected, to set their sights on the right kind of love, that we're not loving based on what other people do, do for us, that we're loving based on what you did for us, that we're going to try to love others with that pure kind of love that overlooks a multitude of sins, that, that, that is no strings attached, that we're going to try to be a blessing. And we know that as we all do that for each other, that we're going to just experience something special that comes from unity and togetherness and, and going in the same direction together. And so bless your church. Bless them today as we follow you, as we jump into a, a semester of life groups. Help us, Lord, to just love each other well. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.